Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we turn to a message taught by Pastor Harris on March 8, 2020, in regard to 1 Corinthians and that portion of chapter 11 where Paul instructs the believers in Corinth of proper behavior concerning the Lord's Supper. At Heritage Bible Church, we teach that the Lord Jesus instituted baptism and the Lord's Supper to be observed by all believers until his return for his bride, the church. Please listen to today's slice of this week's message entitled, The Lord's Supper. We're doing things a little bit differently this morning. Second time we've done it this same different way in three months of coming to the Lord's table, but it's not a whole change of habit. It's because of how our studies are progressing and in 1 Corinthians, we come to the portion that deals with the Lord's Supper. And you say, 1 Corinthians? You've been in Mark. You just did three topical sermons. Where'd you get that 1 Corinthians stuff? Well, Heritage Bible Church also meets on Wednesday nights. We've been studying 1 Corinthians since the fall, and uh, we're going to pretty much finish it. But in order to uh, finish it before the uh, end of spring, but before we do that, we're combining it with Sunday mornings for a while. You'll catch on. It's all God's Word, and it's all very practical. As you can work your way through 1 Corinthians, when you get to chapter 11, you find there's a unifying theme of four chapters, chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14, all deal with Paul confronting what commentators call disorders in public worship. It's Paul pouring out his pastoral heart for his spiritual children in the faith in the church in Corinth. He starts this section by praising them for wanting to get things right, and then immediately he corrects them regarding the conduct of women in public worship. Now, even the hyper-spiritual ones that have been here on Wednesday nights are thinking, you haven't gotten into chapter 11 yet. Okay, I'm moving one paragraph ahead of another when we're going to do head, hair, and hats on uh, Wednesday night uh, this coming week. But I want to bring us today, because it is the day that we would come around the Lord's table, to chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, proper conduct at the Lord's Supper. And as we dive in, you're sitting here, and you've probably been here before. You've probably had uh, communion here, if not somewhere else before. And you see the the stuff in front of me on the table here, and you're thinking of communion and what we do. And you're going to hear some things in 1 Corinthians that don't seem to fit exactly what we do. And that's because they don't fit exactly what we do. What we call the, the Lord's Supper, or communion is different from the practice of the church in Corinth that Paul was confronting. 
Now, they weren't doing anything completely out of the ordinary, but they practiced what early Christian writers called the love feast. We would probably call it a potluck. The early Christians, when they came around the Lord's table, they usually united it with a meal, thinking Jesus ate the Passover meal, and at that time, he instituted the Lord's Supper. But even when it wasn't Passover, they did it in conjunction with a Lord's, with, with a meal. Um, it's not wrong to do that, but that was the background of what was going on. And that's how the celebration of what Jesus did for us came to a place where it was getting slighted. The love, feast, the love feast was practiced uh, throughout the, the New Testament era. You have our passage here that deals with what was going on in Corinth. Jude 12 mentions it specifically, and that was in the, the, the same era as this time. And we know that, that uh, beyond the New Testament, several early church, follower, uh, church fathers much later than Paul and Jude uh, described this practice and how it was done in various places in some detail. Now, it wasn't the Passover meal. It is not, they didn't go back and do the Passover thing all the time, but they would have an ordinary meal that they would eat in conjunction with the Lord's table. It's still done in some corners of uh, the Christian world. And you'll see in our passage that what Paul addresses cannot be limited to the symbolic meal that we usually call by the shorthand name communion. He's talking about abuses in conduct that introduced hypocrisy into what they were doing and wound up negating the significance of what we're supposed to commemorate as we do this. So we're going to take on a big package, a big passage today, and I need you to, therefore, listen efficiently, which means I'm going to talk fast, and I may not get to everything that you wish that we would. But we can take 1 Corinthians 11:17 17 through um, 34 and break it down into two simple points. Come well prepared. In other words, have your heart right, have your motivation right as you come to this table, and then celebrate well, and we'll look at what he exactly tells us uh, to do. Starts out with the exhortation to come well prepared. There were two issues in the church in Corinth in um, the early time of that church. Probably the church was in oh, its first 10 years uh, or, or less. Two issues perverted their celebration of the Lord's Supper. Schisms and selfishness. In other words, the, the believers in Corinth were not properly preparing themselves for it. And so Paul started out saying, I, I, I praise you, in chapter 11, verse 2, for things that they did want to get right. But in, in, contact with that, uh, in contrast with that, he says, now on this I can't praise you. So let's jump in at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 17. He says, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better but for the worse. Ouch, Paul. What do you really think? He, he's telling them, what you're doing is worse than not getting together. You're actually collectively sinning in what you're doing. You see, it's not always necessarily a positive thing every time Christians get together because sinning together with a group of Christians 
is no better than sinning alone. And this passage actually says it's, it's worse when the truth is being corrupted. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, now he's saying something even more general than just about the Lord's table. This is something he's already confronted in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians. When you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. Now, we know he believed it because he's already confronted it, but I think what he's saying is there are people in your church who, when they come together, they don't see it as the whole body of Christ as they should. They see it as their group as opposed to uh, other groups. The word divisions in our text is um, the Greek word schismata, and it's the etymological root of our word schism. Uh, Paul was being gentle when he said, in part, I believe it, because we knew, we know that he knew it was a problem. Here he's adding a new twist. He says, when you come together and you pretend or you proclaim to have Christian fellowship when there are divisions, rifts, schisms within the congregation, that is spiritually disastrous. You see, God never overlooks hypocrisy. One important aspect of communion is celebrating it communally. The word is in there. Celebrating our unity, celebrating our our common ground in Christ, the thing that every believer shares with every other believer. If you come to this celebration with an ongoing broken relationship with another Christian, if you haven't already done everything possible so far as it depends upon you to make peace, and those words come directly from Romans twelve eighteen, if you haven't done that, you're actually risking bringing God's personal chastening upon yourself. He takes celebrating this very seriously. So look at verse 19. He says, For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Now, friends, that is an example of the Apostle Paul's sanctified sarcasm. He is ridiculing them for how they were doing this. Some were apparently rationalizing their divisiveness, as the Lord saw it. They were making it acceptable or excusing themselves because to them that just showed, well, now we know by who chooses our group, we know who the really mature ones are. He's making fun of them. We're the approved group. Now, beyond the schisms, there's more. There was selfishness going on. told you we'd have to go fast, so stay with me. Verses 20 and 21. He says, therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. Now, notice the word therefore. That connects directly to verse 19. That reinforces what I said about verse 19 being sarcasm. Whatever they were doing in their love feasts, 
it was not accomplishing the purpose that Jesus intended for the Lord's Supper. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.